Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 13th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including the Louis C.K. situation. We're going to be talking about Quentin Tarantino's next film, a Lord of the Rings TV show, uh, Amazon developing a free ad-supported streaming service, uh, Spider-Man, another Spider-Man spinoff in development at Sony, and we'll talk about early buzz from Justice League and The Punisher, uh, and in the water cooler, we'll be talking about a ton of stuff. This is Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And back after a two-week vacation is Slash Film writer, Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. I'm back. I'm jet-lagged, but I'm tan. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we missed you. So tell us about your trip. Uh, what, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I was in Thailand for two weeks, uh, actually for about one and a half weeks, after which I went to Hong Kong for three days. And this this is a trip I've been planning for a while with uh, my cousin and one of her friends. We've been planning to go to the uh, Lantern Festival in Chiang Mai. And this is an annual festival they have, which is, uh, I sent it to the, the group Slack. It's where people release the lanterns into the sky uh, that have that are fired by that are powered by fire and everything. And yeah, it if, is just if anybody's absolutely seen gorgeous. Tangled from Disney, then you've seen yes. something like that. Yes, exactly. So we went uh, to Bangkok, Chiang Mai, Phuket, and then I was in Hong Kong for three days. And it was a great time in which I ate a lot and I sweated all, a lot of that out and um, just met a lot of cool people. I stayed mostly in hostels, which was kind of a new experience for me. Uh, but it was a lot of fun just like meeting people uh, as we were going along and uh, definitely seeing different aspects of life I haven't noticed. Although I not- I realized that Thailand, a lot of the culture and the food is very similar to Vietnam. Uh, even the language itself was, sounded somewhat like Vietnamese. So I was kind of Oh, thrown for a little bit. I was like, oh, okay. They're not speaking Vietnamese, but it sounds a lot like it. Um, yeah, the food was great. I ate a lot of spicy food, which I handled. They only had one dish where I only ha- where I had three bites and I could not eat anything else. Wow. But otherwise, I was very proud of myself. A- any interesting like culture shock or you know surprising differences over there? Mm, 
Well, you know, there's a lot of warnings about getting scammed in Thailand, and I'm glad to say that we did not get scammed. Uh, let's see, culture shock. I guess it's like I've, I was, I've been to Vietnam before, so it's somewhat similar to Vietnam in that, like, there aren't many rules of the road. You kind of just have to cross uh, whenever you see a gap or just start walking and the cars will stop for you, which is very terrifying. Um, but you get used to it, I guess. I just kind of would walk behind my friends. Like as soon as I was on the side where the cars were coming in, I would, I would, uh, walk around them to make sure that if we got, uh, crashed into, they would have nice buffer for me. So I wouldn't die immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Any encounters with pop culture or movies or television over there? So when I was in Hong Kong, we went to the um, Gallery of Stars, which is where they have their sort of ver- their version of the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And there was a picture of Chow Yun-Fat that I took a picture of and tweeted. And um, there's a fun Bruce Lee statue there. Uh, very cool. It was it was a good time. I don't know if there's anything. Is it quite as touristy as our Walk of Fame in Hollywood? Not as touristy, but they were under renovation, so there wasn't a lot of people there. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of food and a lot of a lot of sun, so that was, I had a fun time. Yesterday was November twelfth, which is the day that Hill Valley's famous lightning storm, but it's also the day that I was born. So it was my birthday over the weekend. Uh, I did a bunch of stuff, including uh, I ate at Outback Steakhouse because I've been on a diet for a, a while now, and I've uh, had a craving for blooming onions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you've ever had that, but it's it's oh, probably yeah. like the worst thing you could possibly eat. And, uh, <laughs> and my table shared two of them, and it was it was amazing. Even though it's a chain restaurant, uh, it made me happy. Um, I went to Designer Con, which is this convention in Pasadena, where uh, it's basically like the Artist Alley of Comic Con, but it's just that. So it's like a huge convention with just artists and you're supporting them. You know, you're buying stuff from the actual artists themselves. And it's it's a lot of, you know, cool pop culture stuff. I was shocked. Uh, my girlfriend Kitra was shocked that there was not one thing of uh, the Porgs from The Last Jedi. Like I, I, mm. I felt like that was going to be everywhere. But the, the two things that we saw everywhere were Stranger Things was like everywhere you looked and It. Pennywise from it was everywhere you looked was, you know, someone had a drawing Mm. or print or something from it. Um, And uh, of course I went to the magic castle for my birthday because as a member, I get a free dinner appetizer dessert. And that was fun. Although my birthday always falls on uh, veterans week uh, to align with veterans day, Uh, which is, I mean, it's cool. I like, veterans day but um at the magic castle that means that they have veterans week which is just all veterans doing magic which no offense to any veterans but usually the selection they have when i go to the magic castle on veterans week is is it's not you know as exciting as it normally is um so yeah there's that um and uh i oh this past week, I, I didn't get to talk about this, but I got to see Coco for a second time. I don't think I ever talked about that on the podcast. Uh, Pixar's new animated film. I really enjoyed it the second time. I can tell you both times it made me cry. I'm not sure it's, you know, in their top third of best films of, you know, of that studio. But uh, it's definitely something that I think you should seek out. And, you know, I don't I, I didn't really um, 
know much about Day of the Dead beyond, you know, kind of the surface level stuff. And it was uh, it was really interesting. Like, those aspects of the film, I think, are very interesting and eye-opening. And uh, I feel more cultured having seen, <laughs> seen this Disney film, I guess. Maybe not in, in, in so much as, like, you know, how Moana, I think, uh, cultures people. But, um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Ben, what have you been up to? Awesome. Uh, well, happy birthday, Peter. Oh, Very thank cool. You. Yeah. Um, last night, I had a chance to go to the AFI Fest premiere of The Disaster Artist, which is a movie that I've already seen, but I loved, and I could not pass up the opportunity to go see it again on the big screen. And uh, it was great. It was at the TCL Chinese Theater, so it's like, you know, a full-on Hollywood experience. There's an after party at the the Hollywood Roosevelt right across the street, and you know, you're in there with, you know, James Franco and Seth Rogen and all the people who are, you know, starring in the film and all that. So it's sort of like one of those swanky Hollywood party experiences, which was pretty sweet. Uh, Tommy Wiseau, who is the subject of The Room or the I guess the <laughs> the the writer, director, producer, star of The Room, which is like who James Franco plays in The Disaster Artist. Uh, he, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero who's also the co-star of The Room, were both there in attendance and they came down and did like a, you know, were introduced before the movie started and all that stuff and everybody sort of went nuts. Um, so, yeah, I just really quickly just wanted to mention again how much I love The Disaster Artist. I cannot say enough good things about it. One quick thing is um, the first time I watched it, I was sort of mesmerized, so mesmerized by James Franco's performance that... I feel like I wasn't really paying close enough attention to Dave Franco's uh, performance. And that's his younger brother who plays Greg Sestero in the movie. And this time uh, I was able to sort of uh, focus in a little bit more on that. And Dave Franco does incredible work in this movie. I think it's going to be overshadowed by James uh, as you know, we get closer to award season and all that kind of stuff. But um, do not sleep on Dave Franco in this movie. He is doing really, really great work. And it's it's almost as it's I would say it's as good as what James is able to do, but just in a totally different way. He basically just plays like a straight man in a movie that has some pretty crazy characters in it. And that, you know, comes along with its own set of challenges. And and I, I just don't want people to overlook uh, Dave Franco's work in this movie because it, it's really tremendous. So uh, definitely go see The Disaster Artist, uh, you know, at your earliest convenience because it's an amazing movie. Now that you've seen it multiple times, is it as rewatchable as The Room? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yes, I think so. I actually liked it a lot better the second time, and I loved it the first time. Um, and I think it's because you get the the room experience without actually having to <laughs> go through the torture that is watching the room. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say it's uh, it's as rewatchable for sure. And I forgot to mention, I, I tweeted a bunch of photos from DesignerCon. So if you want to see some of the art, some of the best pop culture art that I found at DesignerCon, go to. Uh, my account on Twitter that's at slash home. Uh, by the way, I ran into a bunch of artists at the designer con that listened to this podcast and, you know, were just praising it. And uh, I want to thank everybody who, uh, uh, you know, said nice things about the podcast and also wish me a happy birthday over the weekend. Uh, thank you all. Let's get to the news, though, because we, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, first up, I we didn't really get to talk about because we had an emergency episode on Thursday night and we didn't have an episode on Friday. Um, we didn't really get to talk about this Louis C.K. stuff. So, Ben, what is going on with Louis C.K.? 
Yes. So on Friday, uh, a New York Times report came out in which five women came forward and accused comedian Louis C.K. of sexual misconduct, saying that he either masturbated in front of them or asked if he could. This has been going on for years and years and has been sort of like Harvey Weinstein, one of those sort of uh, open secrets, I guess, in uh, the comedy world for a long time. These sort of allegations about uh, Louis C.K.'s behavior has have been, you know, whispered about behind closed doors, but nobody has ever actually come forward before. And that all changed on Friday with this New York Times report. Um, you know, all these women came forward and actually I think four of them came forward and put their names to uh, to their accusations. And one of them remained anonymous. And uh, I think it was what, the what, next day. What, what kind of accusations are these? We should probably. So, yeah, that basically that he masturbated in front of them or asked if he could, you know, like masturbated during phone calls with them, like really sort of disgusting stuff. Um, so uh, Louis C.K. actually released a statement. And unlike, you know, Brett Ratner, who's denying the allegations against him, uh, Louis C.K., I think, is the first person to uh, come forward and say that you know, these stories are true. That That is his quote from his statement that he uh, released in the aftermath of this, um, of this report. And so, yeah, he's basically admitting that all of these things that he's, you know, accused of doing, he actually did them. Um, I think for the Kevin Spacey scenario, he was like, I don't quite remember if I did that. If I did, I'm sorry. But Louis C.K. is like, I did this. I apologize. Um, so you can read his apology and all of that stuff if you care about doing that uh he has since the fallout from this has been pretty swift he has a, a movie coming out or it had a movie coming out called i love you daddy which has been canceled by the orchard which is the distribution company uh netflix has canceled the plans to release a second original stand-up special um with him and hbo has removed him from uh, an upcoming event called night of too many stars which is a benefit show fx has severed all ties with louis ck and his production company and tbs has, has suspended production on an animated series that he's working on so this has been you know the industry is just uh the dominoes are falling very very quickly on this and especially because he's outright admitted yeah. that this stuff has happened um the I mean, secret I mean, life I mean, of Pets, the yeah. the animated movie has has fired him from that production there or i guess the the, the sequel it doesn't have a, an official title yet but the secret life of pets 2 uh louis ck who provided the voice for the main character in the first movie will not be coming back for the second film but i had no idea these allegations against louis ck and uh it seems like a, a lot of people in the comedy community did know about that it, it is disgusting um it seems like now louis ck has been uh you know, everything has been taken away from Louis C.K. at this point, which is uh, a, a, a show of the times. Like, I feel like um, Hollywood is really re becoming reactionary to this, which is good. I don't know. H.T., do you have any thoughts on this? Um, uh, Just that, yeah, like Ben said, the floodgates are opening. And this is just the beginning, of, I'm sure, of a exposure of widespread systemic harassment and abuse in the industry, not just in Hollywood, but everywhere else. Um, so it's, it's disheartening to read them, read these stories every day, but they are necessary, I think, to, uh, bringing sort of justice or bring some sort of, uh, recompense to the victims of these men and their careers that were lost in the process. Yeah. And I, as a consumer of entertainment, I feel like it's harder. It, I think it hits you harder. It hits me harder when it's someone that, you know, whose work I admire, 
unlike, you know, a Brett Ratner. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's like, oh, my God, this guy I liked was such a scumbag. Um, you know, it, it, it's so, so, so many conflicting feelings about it. It's weird. His statement is probably the most well-written out of anybody that has been accused thus far. But at the same time, it's it's weirdly void of, like, an apology. Yeah, I was about to point that out. I don't think he actually straight out apologized for his actions. He said he was remorseful, but he never said sorry to the victims themselves. Yeah, I guess that's true. I Yeah, yeah. and I've seen a lot of people sort of praising his his response. But, um, you know, the, the point is that... Uh, this is some pretty messed up stuff, and I don't know if like praising a response is the uh, the best move in these these times. He says that he's going to basically just like step back and and spend time, um, you know, listening. I'm going to take a long time to listen. He says so. I don't know what that means. It probably means that he's not going to be working for a long time. I don't know if he's going to end up in jail because he admitted to, I think, what is a, a criminal act? I, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, this story is still sort of developing and we'll keep you guys posted if there's any other updates. For sure. Um, okay. But uh, this is going to keep on going. I think the dominoes are going to continue to fall. I think, I I honestly think this we're, we're just seeing the beginning. We're seeing the tip of the iceberg. I think, you know, this year, this coming year is going to be very uh interesting and sad we're gonna see a lot of our heroes i think uh we're gonna hear a lot of stories not that i know of any i i, I just i just have a feeling and yeah. uh we'll, we'll keep you updated on the podcast and on the site uh but next up in the news quentin tarantino's next movie we we had heard was about charles manson but apparently that's kind of uh, a little too specific. He, he says it's more about 1969. Ben, what do we know about this? Yeah, that's actually his exact quote is he said, it's not Charles Manson. It's not Charles Manson. It's 1969. So that is basically what we know about his uh, his movie. And that, you know, the specificity of the Charles Manson story, um, I think, you know, it got people excited because that's a recognizable story. It's, you know, this insane truly crazy thing that if you don't really know that much about, I would highly recommend listening to the uh, Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This podcast. She did a whole series of super in-depth episodes about, um, you know, the like tracking the entire thing, the rise of Manson and his his followers and then the the murders that, ac- that occurred in the late 60s. So, uh, you know, that is an interesting story in and of itself. But I think the concept of um, Tarantino widening his scope to encompass the entire year instead of just laser focusing in on this one particular event that happened is a lot more interesting. And, um, you know, it, it opens the doors for him to explore all sorts of different things and maybe make comments on all sorts of different things instead of just this one, um, you know, sort of contained uh, element. So, um, again, we don't know the name of the, the movie that he's working on. We don't know which studio is going to be distributing it because he's previously worked with the Weinstein Company and he is you know, now shopping this new script around to different studios. Uh, we've heard some rumors that Margot Robbie and Leonardo DiCaprio and Samuel L. Jackson and I think maybe Brad Pitt might be in the ensemble cast, but no deals are signed as far as we know yet. So there's much more to come on this. But uh, as of right now, we just know that the scope is being uh, expanded a little bit to the entire year 1969, not just the Charles Manson story. Yeah, it says in this article, it, it theorizes that basically, you know, this might be as much, you know, as Inglorious Bastards was a movie about Hitler. This is a movie about Charles Manson. You know, it isn't really 
you know yeah he's a he's a supporting player kind of yeah um i'm i'm very excited for this movie because you know i I, i'm a fan of quentin Tarantino and you know for a while there he was doing you know world war ii movies and westerns and you know i really love him in kind of like the 1960s 1970s area of you know in los angeles i feel like that's where uh he is strongest in my mind so i'm I'm excited for this movie ht do you have any thoughts on uh a a quintern do doing a movie of about 1969 yeah i'm also really excited i'm a big tarantino fan too so i'm fascinated by how he'll tackle everything that happened in 69 not just in hollywood but everything that was happening politically with all the assassinations uh it's definitely a year that was rife with just turmoil and events so uh he i think will have fun and I think uh, he might also make uh, more homages to one of his favorite sort of influences, which is like French New Wave, which was like 69 was also the golden era of that. So uh, I think uh, this movie will be really interesting. For sure. The, the, that era, I think, has a style that uh, is complementary to the style of uh, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, moving on. Uh, I think we talked last week about the possibility of a Lord of the Rings TV show at Amazon, and now it is official. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so just a few days ago, uh, that announcement came out that Amazon was in talks with the estate of J.R.R. Tolkien to adapt the Lord of the Rings into a TV series. That is definitely official. Amazon made a a full announcement this morning. Uh, They said, uh, here's the description straight from a a press release they sent out. Set in Middle Earth, the television adaptation will explore new storylines preceding J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. The deal includes a potential additional spinoff series. So... We don't know who is creatively involved with uh, this show yet. I don't think there is anyone attached at this point. Um, we know that the rights to the Lord of the Rings name, property, what what have you, are said to be in the 200 to $250 million range just for the rights before any of the costs for production or talent or any of that stuff factor into it, which is pretty nuts. And the budget for, you know, a season of television like this could, you know, be in the 100 to $150 million range just for one season. So, I mean, Amazon is spending some serious cash here. Uh, they are obviously looking for their version of Game of Thrones, which is sort of a, a cyclical situation here because uh, clearly George R. R. Martin took some inspiration from Tolkien to create Game of Thrones. So, um yeah, I mean, we don't really know. We know that it's going to be before Fellowship of the Ring, and that's it. So does that mean this could be another adaptation of The Hobbit? Because that is a prequel to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Does that mean it's going to go way back, all the way to the beginning of the creation of Middle-earth, and and tackle all that kind of stuff that appears in uh, Tolkien's The Cimmerillion, which is this really, really dense uh, history of all of these wars and and races and um, you know intrigue and and political you know goings have, on. Have you ever tried to read that book? Uh, no, my wife has read the whole trilogy and she just got it as a gift not too long ago. So I'm gonna let her sort of take a crack at it and then let me know if it's worth me trying to dive in because I feel like only really really hardcore Tolkien fans have been able to sort of crack that nut. Um, from my understanding, it's it's, it's like the dense. part. Yeah, it's like the part of the Bible where it's like 
this person begat this person who then begat this person. And it's just like really dry and like really sort of um, mind bending and like tough to read, tough to like sit through and keep all the names straight and all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, George R. R. Martin and, and HBO have been able to take that sort of historical angle and make it super compelling with Game of Thrones. So there is definitely potential for um, something that reads as a little dry on the page in the Cimmerillion to become, uh, you know, to get fleshed out into this epic, uh, compelling fantasy story on Amazon. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think that they would have to flesh out like little characters and little mentions and use basically the world as a as the canvas um, to make this work because it it doesn't seem like there is enough in those ancillary books to make a series with you know a main group of characters like i i feel like they're gonna have to invent the stories and you know have the the books be you know the the world that the books created and kind of yeah. foretold be the the thing hd do you have any thoughts on this are you a fan of the lord of the rings series i I am a fan, but not as hardcore as many of my friends. I've read all of the books and uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, but not The Cimmerillion. It's very daunting to me. Um, I just hope that uh, that Amazon doesn't take a misguided angle and try to insert lots of sex and uh, violence into Lord of the Rings. I mean, violence fine, but Lord of the Rings itself is kind of... Uh, is the polar opposite, really, of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones takes this high fantasy uh, series and turns it into this character study that has lots of um, nudity and, and all this gratuitousness. But Lord of the Rings is very much kind of stodgy. So I don't know. I, I think that Amazon is very obviously trying to make a bid for uh, their own version of Game of Thrones. I just don't hope they try to over-Game of Thrones it. Yeah, and there's one more thing maybe that's worth mentioning, and that uh, Jacob Hall, the managing editor slash, some pointed this out to me that the uh, Tolkien estate was famously not really a fan of Peter Jackson's movie trilogy, mm. so they are involved with this show. So I, I feel like that signals a potential shift in tone for this adaptation. What exactly that means, I'm not quite sure, but I don't know if it's going to look and feel like. Peter Jackson's movies have been ported down to the small screen. Um, so that is kind of a, an interesting thing. Like what, what do the Tolkien people think that a Lord of the Rings show should be like? And that, I guess we're about to find out pretty soon. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you, you know, with everybody talking about all this, I, some person on Twitter mentioned, you know, when are we going to see the Harry Potter TV series? Because that, that is now inevitable, right? With Star Wars getting a TV show, with Lord of the Rings getting a TV show, I feel like uh, if it's not a Harry Potter TV show that actually adapts all the years into uh, you know television, it, it could be a show based in that world. Uh, HT, you're a big fan of the Potterverse, right? Mm-hmm. What, yeah. What do you think I... about that? Yeah, I think that Harry Potter could actually work even better in a TV series format because there are so many details that are lost uh, in translation to the big screen. Uh, although I just I hope that they wait a little bit longer to adapt it to television. Uh, hopefully, hopefully a BBC series. Uh, for, to, um, J.K. Rowling is very loyal to uh, her home and paying taxes and everything like that because she was so dependent on welfare when she was a 
budding writer. So I think it would be nice to see it on the BBC. And I hope that maybe they would wait long enough so that Daniel Radcliffe uh, can play uh, an older act, an older character. I don't know, maybe Dumbledore or someone. So just wait a little bit. I don't think Radcliffe wants any of that. (laughs) I think he's so out of the Harry Potter movies. And, uh, but I think that's interesting with BBC. I think it could be a co-production because I think they're going to need more money than that. What what were you saying? Do you think, um, do you think Warner brothers, I believe Warner brothers still owns the rights to the Harry Potter, Harry Potter property at this point. Do you think that, with Disney creating their own streaming service that Warner Brothers won't be too far behind that they could create their own, you know, proprietary streaming platform and then do a similar thing to what Disney's about to do with live action Star Wars and make a live action Harry Potter show, you know, exclusive to a, a WB streaming uh, service. I, I just get the feeling that a year down the line, we're going to be referencing this episode and your prediction. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I feel like this is a no brainer if you're Warner Brothers, uh, but who knows? Uh, but Ben, you, you need to actually leave us right now. I do. Because yes. you're going to do interviews with the disaster artists, filmmakers and cast. Uh, so we'll let you go. Where can we find more work? You can you? find me at slashfilm.com and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Bye, Ben. All right. See you guys. See ya. And while all these companies are trying to get into streaming services, trying to get you to pay a premium for their exclusive content, uh, turns out that there's a new rumor that Amazon might be developing a ad-supported way to view their exclusive content. AdAge uh, is reporting that Amazon is developing a free ad-supported complement to its Prime streaming service. Um while Roku and Vudu offer some streaming content for free, Amazon diving into this particular realm feels a bit like a big move for that company. And it also seems like a, a step backwards because, you know, we're so used to that being on network television. And, you know, I feel like Hulu wasn't progressive because, you know, they kind of looked at things as like the way they were and not the way they should be. What, what do you think about Amazon basically coming out with a version of prime that people can watch their content but ad supported is that a step in the right direction or a step backwards it's interesting it feels like they're definitely trying to ape hulu which is seeing its own sort of success this year with uh, the um, the emmy winning uh, handmaid's tale so i don't know i i i'm not a huge fan of ads but i don't don't dis- i won't um uh, avoid them, I guess you would say. I understand ads as being very essential to um, to finance and everything, but yeah. I'm not really sure why Amazon would need it if they already have Amazon Prime and a very strong subscription service. So yeah, it does seem redundant. I'm not really sure why they're doing this move. And it's, it's, weird it's just very confusing. I, I feel like everybody I know has Amazon Prime already because it's mm-hmm. such a good value just from the shipping aspect of things. And then you get all that content for free. But um I mean, you mentioned ads like, you know, if there is a way for me to pay to get rid of ads, like Hulu has a uh, has a extra premium that you can pay to get rid of ads. I pay for that because you know uh-huh. I, I'd rather my time I feel <laughs> is worth more money than that five bucks a month or whatever it is. And I've also said, you know, I pay for YouTube Red, which, you know, avoids all the ads and all the YouTube clips everywhere, not even just in on YouTube, but on my phone everywhere. Um so I'm willing to pay to get rid of ads. Um, I don't know. This just seems like a step in the 
step backwards to me. But yeah, maybe there's a lot so, of people out there that want to, you know, watch, uh, you know, these Amazon shows, but aren't willing to pay for Prime. So I'm the complete opposite of you. I do not have Amazon Prime. Uh, I Sometimes I use my mom's account. Like I just log into that to ship something to myself. Um, by the I don't way, by the way I, you can hook up because you have a family member that has Amazon Prime. You can go into your Amazon settings and become a member of their family. And what? you will basically have Amazon Prime. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I guess I do kind of have Amazon Prime then. So if you set um, it up, you, you will be all set. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to YouTube Red. I don't pay the extra five bucks for Hulu. So I'm, I'm just incredibly cheap. Uh, so it does ads don't bother me all too much. Uh, I did sign up for Spotify Premium, so I wouldn't have to listen to ads. But I kind of just sometimes use ads to, you know, do cooking or something, or get some glass of water. I don't really have any sort of uh, uh, animosity towards them. But I don't. Yeah, I. Don't understand people who would actually actively seek out a streaming service for ads. I'm not really sure if those people exist. It, it makes so. me wonder if there is a future in this. Like, are we, you know, a year or two away from getting a version of Netflix that everybody can watch, mm-hmm. but it has ads, you know, it has commercial breaks and stuff. It's so kind of like how people use TV as sort of white noise in the background. We'll just yeah. like leave it on. That's interesting. Maybe, maybe that's what Amazon Prime is trying to Amazon is trying to go for. Yeah. Uh, also in the news, uh, Sp- a Spider-Man spinoff, Morbius: The Living Vampire, is being developed by Sony and Power Ranger writers. You wrote this up for the site. Why? <laughs> you know, that's the question I was asking the entire time while writing this, and I do not know the answer to that. But apparently, we have a, no- a new so. Sony spinoff uh, in the Spider-Man less uh, Spider-Man cinematic universe, uh, which includes Venom and Silver and Black, which is the Black Cat Silver Sable uh, movie. And uh, so the newest one into that sort of strange cabal of films is uh, Morbius the Living Vampire, which is not a character I was quite familiar with. But uh, I, I, I read be... Spider-Man comics, not a lot, but, you know, I've read a, a bunch of different trades I have in my collection and I, I had I don't know anything about this character. <laughs> but yeah, his um, his title is I elicited a very strong reaction, I think. And the fact that the spinoff is being developed or um, being penned by the Power Rangers writing duo Burke Sharpless and Matt Sazama, which is a strange combination, no matter how you think of it. It's just. A whole bevy of elements that are like, like you said, why? <laughs> um, but uh, I guess it's a sort of Sony's way of just throwing more ideas at the wall to see if they stick. Um, it seems that they're trying to go hone in on the anti-hero element for a lot of these Spider-Man connected properties for their cinematic universe. Uh, remember, they wanted to start the universe off with a uh, Sinister Six uh, sort of Suicide squ- Squad style movie. Uh, but then instead they're using Venom as the first kickoff point for this universe, which is not yet named. I'm not sure what it would be called. The Spider, the Spider-Man, this universe without Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't um, know if you can <laughs> even come up with a title for it. But, you know, it is interesting that they are taking a different approach where, where everybody's trying to copy Marvel. Mm-hmm. They are kind of taking a different approach, and that I think is to be commended. Maybe 
Uh, I don't I have know. No all idea. The, all of these sound like such bad ideas. I almost wonder if this is a play to like, you know, Disney. You know, is in talks to buy Fox. Maybe maybe Sony is just like you know trying to do whatever they can with the Spider Man universe to try to get Disney to buy them because <laughs> you know. If they don't, cry for help. Yeah, if if Disney does not buy them, they are gonna further ruin the Spider Man brand. <laughs> um, I, I I'm I'm obviously joking, but uh, it I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think that these movies are things that people are actually gonna want to see? Maybe out of morbid curiosity, um, as someone who is a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is itself a ridiculous title, I won't begrudge Morbius his own very strange epithet. Um, so maybe Morbius will be successful. It could it could be just weird enough that it will be like a pulpy B movie, um, su- ancillary like superhero movie. Uh, it it is um, ri- the. Sharpless and Sazama have had sort of supernatural uh, experience before. They penned Dracula Untold for Universal, which was also notably a failed building block for their own cinematic universe. So maybe that doesn't bode well after all. But um, yeah, I don't know. I It could be either or. Venom, I think, is just like in the same boat because it has such great stars, but is such a strange solo movie to start a cinematic universe off with. For sure. Um, and last up, we have a bunch of early buzz for a film and a TV show. We got Justice League, which the the first social embargo reviews hit on Friday. And today we have The Punisher on Netflix. Uh, I'll start off with Justice League because it's a film that I got to see um, a couple weeks back. And uh, I, I want to say it is better than expected, but it's not a home run. Uh, the interaction between that core Justice League team can be a lot of fun in the same way you know the avengers interacting with each other and like you know uh you know like those those cool those fun moments and like you know captain america civil war that kind of stuff is a lot of fun uh the film i i don't think is uh you know it has its problems obviously the villain is you know a generic cg villain guy and uh the plot is kind of a little bit weak but uh, Flash and Aquaman are, you know, they steal the show. The film will send the DCEU in a hopeful direction where the brand should be. And I think I think most people that see this movie are going to enjoy it. I'm not going to say that they're going to love it. But um, it's. I think everybody will agree that it's better than Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad, which is uh, a good thing. Right. Um, So would you say that it was obvious that this movie was sort of salvaged uh, by the reshoots or were there any sort of delineating differences between what was originally filmed or reshoots or anything like that? Well, we we, we could talk about this after the movie gets out. But um, I I would say that, um, you know, I was on set of the movie, so I got to see them film some stuff. And some of the stuff that you would think is Joss Whedon is actually Zack Snyder. And, you know, he was trying to do a more funny movie or more, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like a more fun movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But you can definitely see things that were reshot. You know, obviously there's, there's moments that you've seen in the trailers where Ben Affleck looks notably larger now he was when he he shot the original footage um and there's um 
I don't know. There, it, it, it's rather obvious what was reshot, and I don't think Joss Whedon saved the movie. I, I mean, I don't know what the movie was before Joss Whedon came on board it, but um, uh, I would still say that it, it very much feels still like a Zack Snyder movie. So if you're mm. if you're if you're thinking that you know you're going to go in and you're going to see a Joss Whedon movie, I, I think that's probably incorrect. I, on the Joss Whedon scale of things, I would put this at uh, not as good as the Avengers but better than Age of Ultron. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's a very small sort of, well, that's, that's okay. That's good to know. Better than Age of Ultron. <laughs> it's, it's, it's firmly in the middle of that. And, uh, you know, on the site we have uh, quotes from a lot of different people that saw the movie. And I, I, I think um, I think my opinion kind of reflects their opinion, but you could go read their opinions. I should note that uh, – I was invited to go to the London junket of this movie and see the movie in London. Uh, I, I, I did not accept that. Some of these people did not to cloud those quotes, but uh, just so you know, I, I, you know, you, I, I did not go on a trip to London for this movie. The, these opinions are based on a screening I saw in Los Angeles. Uh, just to say that. Okay. So uh, let, let's move on to the Punisher. Uh, which has actually been one of my more anticipated Marvel Netflix TV series because I kind of loved this character on Daredevil. HT, please tell me it's good. So it's it's both good and bad. Uh, I haven't seen a Marvel Netflix series that was quite so polarizing as The Punisher is uh, because critics are either claiming it's the best uh, MCU series released on Netflix or it's the worst, which is very interesting, just extreme reactions on both sides. So um, it's been criticized definitely for being overly long. It has 13 episodes and kind of falls to the common sort of Marvel formula of having uh, two little stories stretched over too many episodes. Um, And it's also sort of ill time too. Well, not sort of ill time. Definitely. So, uh, coming off the tales of two mass shootings in the U S in recent weeks. So it was pushed back. The premiere was, um, pushed back after the events of the mass shooting. Uh, but then there was one that happened in Texas only a couple weeks ago. So, um, there's never, I think a time for this series to really be timely, uh, unless we were in a very dark timeline. So, (laughs) Um, so we are seeing lots of people praising it for being uh, extremely secluded from the rest of the Marvel universe so it really goes grim and gritty there is no real connection to other uh, Marvel series or Marvel events outside of maybe Karen Page popping in every now and then Um, but it also has a really interesting uh, examination of psychological trauma for soldiers and uh, questions about morality and philosophy which I think we got a little taste of too in Daredevil season two during their um, Frank Castle and uh, Matt Murdock's whole rooftop debate um, I was also a huge fan of John Bernthal in uh, Daredevil season two. I think he definitely stole the show. And um, it's no surprise, really, that Netflix immediately greenlit a Punisher spinoff because he was just a force of nature. Um, and I 
the critics definitely raved about his performance as well, saying it's one of the saving graces of this series. And um, across the board, even critics who disliked the series uh, raved about John Bernthal. So at least we'll have that to look forward to. But yeah, it's very it's a big mixed bag of of um, of things with The Punisher. It's either incredibly dull, very sluggish or it's very thoughtful and um, thought-provoking. So I'm not really sure which is which unless until I, I finally see it myself. And I feel like that's probably the conclusion you'll have to come to, to you, Peter, and you, the yeah. viewers or listeners. Yeah. I think it would be very hard to watch a show like this today and not have you know the events that have happened kind of cloud your opinion one way, for, mm-hmm. one way or another. Um, it's interesting that uh, you know people now think 13 episodes is long for a show because I, <laughs> I remember you know 10 years ago you know 24 was 24 episodes a lost was 20 episodes you know that was the normal for everything because everything was you know mostly network television and mm-hmm. kind of these premium networks you know brought it down to you know 13 or whatnot and netflix with you know stranger things is doing less than that um, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm wondering if uh if streaming services now that you know you're dumping all the episodes you know it used to be with the ad money you wanted to keep people coming back week after week so if you had 24 weeks that's six months of you know people coming to your network to to watch that thing and see the ads now that it's not that i wonder if it's more if it's better for a, a company like netflix or amazon to make a series you know nine or ten episodes because you know obviously that's cheaper to produce Right. And uh, creatively, probably more freeing because, you know, the creatives don't have to stretch it out. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I definitely think the Netflix, like the overly long episodes, uh, episode uh, runs for Netflix is a common problem, not just in the Marvel shows, but in all Netflix shows. There's kind of a a lull in the mid-season arc. So I think it's a lot of it has to do with changes in storytelling. Um, these peak prestige television shows aren't so much telling uh, episode of the week ep- stories like the previous like old series were, or they're not even telling serialized storytelling so much. They're just kind of doing movies in eight hours or 12 hours. Yeah. So I think that's the case. Um, it's it, it would be interesting if they cut down the episodes or tried to change their storytelling style a little bit. So we'll see. Well, HT, it's I'm glad to have you back. Where can people find more of your work online? I am glad to be back too. Uh, you can find me on SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. I haven't tweeted recently, but I will start up again now. And I also have a podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast on iTunes. Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the articles we mentioned today on SlashFilm linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please subscribe, go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. That helps us out quite a bit. Tell your friends, and we will see you tomorrow.